We are in Colossians chapter 4. I can say if you're here as a guest or a visitor, a very warm welcome to you. The first thing to say is if you want to find more about us as a church, um, then there are sort of amazing fold-outable pamphlet thingies at the back which give you glimpses of who we are and some of the things that we've got going on, the sort of stuff that makes us tick. So do come and grab me afterwards or grab one of those, but we'd love to uh, chat to you. We recognise it's a kind of funny time in Oxford where people do um, church shop for the next sort of six months or so. Um, if you'd like to know a bit more about Maudlin Road, we'd love to help you with that. Um, you will also need your postcard as we look at these verses. So if I can encourage you to, to sort of nab that, that might be a useful thing to see some of the, the stuff that we've got going on. I want to say as well, if you're visiting us, it's a slightly unusual Sunday. Um, as Daniel said, it's not something we do every week. This is an annual thing. Uh, But hopefully it's a great window for you to look in on us as a church, the sort of things that we love, uh, what we're about, where we're at as a church at the moment. So hopefully it is helpful. Uh, But if you're a regular here at Maudlin Road, you will know that it's been a difficult year in lots of ways, these last 12 months. There have been a number of challenges for us. That there have and there will be changes in staff and the staff team. Peter Comont is many of you know, will be transitioning out over the next few months to begin Trinity Church in the centre of Oxford, and I'm sort of transitioning in. Uh, We've had new administrators, new trainees. It's been a time of staffing flux for us at Maudlam Road. Or you'll know that we prayed and we commissioned Tim Guest and Andy Moore and the team to, to begin Cowley Church Community. They're still with us on Sundays, many of them here in this room now, but through the week, a sort of missional outward-looking groups seeking to, to reach the sort of Templar Square area of Oxford with the good news of Jesus. And of course, with those people moving on, then that leaves spaces here, things to do, jobs, opportunities, areas to serve. And then there are buildings. Add that into the mix. Potentially an opportunity to secure a large key building in this area that will enable us to better achieve our vision as a local church, serving both these streets, but also Oxford as a whole, as we seek to equip uh, Christians and send them on. And then there's you. I know for many of you it's been a difficult year. The last 12 months have not been easy at all. Maybe it's illness, maybe it's job loss, maybe it's mourning the, the death of a close friend or a family member. Maybe it's just being tired, day by day by day, having to battle to be godly in a broken world. Maybe it's feeling down or anxiety or depression or the kind of stuff that's hit many of us over these last 12 months. It's been challenging. And the danger in that kind of uncertainty is that we look ahead to the next 12 months and think, well, let's just weather the storm. Let's just hold on tight and do our best to just keep things going a bit. Because humanly speaking, that would be the sensible thing to do. That seems wise, doesn't it? Let me, let me ask you to cast your mind back 12 months or so, and you might remember the rededication service this time in September um, of last year. Again, we looked ahead with some trepidation. We recognised the uncertainty of what was to come, and we looked at 2 Corinthians 4, and we remembered the idea that we're broken jars, we are clay jars, we are dispensable. We're not that important. But he and his message of the gospel is the treasure that sits within these clay jars. And so we looked ahead, hopefully. And you know that we have found to be true. 
We've acknowledged our weakness before the Lord. He's pulled the rug out from under us in some ways, and we've said we, we just can't do it on our own. We're just clay. And that has been our story for this last year, as he has blessed us as a church. He grew us this last year, growth in terms of numbers, growth in terms of maturity, people, people living costly, Christ-exampling love in the lives of others. People thriving in their walks with the Lord. So much so that back in May at our, at our annual church meeting, words like flourishing were used. And that's been the testimony of many as well, as we've admitted our weakness, our inability, our need to trust him. So he has blessed us. It's been a fascinating year, exciting year. And yet there's another year of not quite sure what's around the corner. Not quite sure what's coming. And so we don't want to simply weather the storm. Friends, we want to push on with daily faithfulness in our weakness with the task that he's called us to. So faithfulness in prayer, faithfulness in evangelism. And yet if you're anything like me, when life is difficult, those are the first two things to go. Is that you? Your job is hard, your relationships are complicated, sleeping goes AWOL, you're just out of sorts and you think, well, I'll just find my feet and then I'll get back into gear with my prayer life. Then I'll start talking to my friends about Jesus again. When I'm a bit more sorted, I'll be a bit more useful. But it seems to me that Jesus uses people and their imperfections and their weaknesses and inabilities to further his kingdom to grow. So we don't simply want to weather the storm. Have a look at Colossians 4 then. And remember, as Paul writes this, he's in prison. Uh, hopefully we'll see two things this morning. We've not got PowerPoints, so you'll need to put them in your brain that will stick with you. This year we want to be a church that talks to God about people, and secondly, this year, we want to be a church that talks to people about God. I'm indebted to John Stott for his commentary for those two helpful, uh, helpful titles. So talks to God about people and talks to people about God. Remember that? I hope so. First point. This year, we want to be a church that talks to God about people. And so Paul, in verse 2, do you see, he asks them to pray to pray generally and to specifically pray for him and for Timothy as well in verse 3. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Pray, pray, pray not something unusual in Paul's mind. It's not something for the, for the spiritual elite. It's just the bread and butter of normal Christian living. But if that's the case, then why do so many of us find it hard to pray? Do you know, it's not just you that struggles in your prayer life. It's across the board. For many people I speak to, it's a daily battle. At times, it's a daily battle for me too. 
if prayer is so foundational, why are we so bad at it? We're self-sufficient beings. We're busy and other stuff kind of crowds in and pushes God out. And it seems more important, but is it? We love to think we can do it alone. And then we hear these testimonies from spiritual giants of years gone by who on a bad day would have three-hour quiet times in the morning. And we just think, I can't measure up to that. And we feel even more disheartened. But Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. So here's my challenge for each of us. I include me in this. It's been my prayer and my hope that in 12 months' time, each of us will be better at praying. Each of us. So if you pray for five minutes each day at the moment, then maybe ten. If you pray for half an hour, then maybe 40. If you don't pray at all, then maybe just start. Book some time in. If you're someone who who thrives with others, then then plan to come along week by week to a Thursday morning prayer meeting or come on a Sunday evening where we'll be making more time for prayer. Maybe printing out the list of names from the website and just planning each month to just pray through a couple of names a day. Praying for brothers and sisters here at Magdalen Road. Whatever it might be for you, little steps... Tiny steps. But that we might be all better prayers, both as individuals and as a church. Magdalen Road Church, verse 2, let's devote ourselves to prayer. And how are we to pray? Do you see again in verse 2, he says, being watchful and thankful. I think to be watchful here is to be awake, it's to be attentive It's not to be complacent in our prayer life. I take it a watchful church that is devoted to prayer will be the kind of church that's got eyes open to what needs to be prayed for. Constantly reassessing the kind of things we should be taking to the Lord. Routines and lists are great and helpful. They organise us. But I wonder if a watchfulness means we're always thinking carefully to what we should be praying for that might be new. If you know Colossians and Many of you were on the church weekend away last weekend. You'll know that the watchfulness here might be some sort of taking care with false teaching. There was this potential false teaching that was threatening Christians, drawing them away from Christ. So might a watchfulness mean just being careful? Are there wrong theological ideas or dead ends or trajectories that we need to be watchful of? Maybe it's just our culture, our daily life. Are there messages out there that I need to take care I'm not sucked in to make me impotent, less effective in standing out for Christ? So says Paul, watchfulness is key. He says, he says keep your eyes open as you pray. See what's going on, what you can be praying for. Watchful and thankful I don't know about you, but it's very easy in my life, in my prayer life, to be thinking about what I don't have. Or what could be better, or what's not quite right. How God is blessing others, and why isn't he blessing me like that, or us like that? But if we're thankful, so we're guarded from grumpiness, 
from envy, some simply bringing a shopping list to the Lord week by week or day by day. Because we recognize the good stuff he has given us. And we say thank you. I remember as a teenager, um, my folks decided to do something a bit different for Christmas once, and they decided to go um, to a place called Madeira over the festive break. If you don't know, Madeira is a little island off the sort of northwest coast of Africa. It's very warm, beautiful, scenic, hot, nice stuff to do, nice food to eat, a treat. We even sunbathed on Christmas Day by the pool. I just moaned because I was missing out on Christmas TV back at home. In fact, I spent most of the ten days moaning because of the Christmas TV that I was missing. I should have been thankful. I should have been thankful, but I whined. Again, to be thankful in in Colossians territory is, well, look at all the treasures you have in Christ. Look at the amazing stuff you have because you are united to Christ. Look at it. It's not about what you do to make you right with God, but it's about what he has done. We're to be thankful. And we say, but my work is awful and my colleagues are a nightmare. And Paul says, joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I've got to take the car to the garage again. Again. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The kids are grumpy. They hardly sleep. Once you were alienated from God, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. My marriage is such hard work. God has made you alive with Christ. He's forgiven all your sins. He's cancelled the charge of your debt to the law which stood against you and condemned you. He's taken it away. He's nailed it to the cross. He's disarmed the powers and authorities, making a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. We're not belittling the hardships we face. Living in a broken world is genuinely difficult. People suffer. But in the midst of that, says Paul, be thankful. Remember all that you have. Look at the reality of all you have, the treasure in Christ that is yours. You're joined to him. Look back and see what he's done at the cross. Look ahead and see what you have coming in the future and look to the now and see how rich you are. Because too often I can be like a spoilt teenager grumbling in Madeira because of lack of Christmas TV. Thankful praying relativizes the hardships of the now. Look at what you have in Christ. So we're to pray with watchfulness and thankfulness. What are we to pray for? Have a look again at verses 3 and 4. And pray for us too. Let's pray for Paul and Timothy, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So firstly, he wants us to pray for open doors and By that, I think Paul means new ways, new opportunities, new places for preaching the gospel, the 
the message, the mystery of Christ, as he puts it? Again, it's a great question for us. Do you consider your week, or as we as a church think through opportunities in this area, or in our lives, our corporate ministry, where might the Lord open doors for us? We're still waiting for the 2011 census data that's drilled down into our zone. But are are there people groups living around here that we've not even considered, that we need to be reaching out to? Maybe there are clubs or teams or societies in in your sphere of life that you would love, and they just meet round the corner from your house. There are opportunities there, open doors there. Maybe there are doors that are open and we're just blind to them. Maybe it's just having the neighbours over. Maybe it's just making more of an intentional effort at work or on our street or with our family or, or friends at Sunflowers or Buttercups or however we spend our week. Maybe it's developing more sort of intentional routines in our week, boring stuff, so that we begin to see the same people and grow in friendship. You know, if you go to the same shop at the same time each week, you will probably see the same kind of people. Maybe as you get up each morning, it's just praying, Lord, Lord, please give me an open door today for you. Or maybe it's a step back. And it's praying for the kind of heart that wants to pray for an open door for that day. Because when life is hard, if you're honest, you don't particularly want to be telling your colleagues that you're a Christian or what the gospel means. It's terrifying. So pray for a heart that would want to pray for an open door each morning. Because Paul's prayer for open doors in verse 3 is in the context of chains It's hard. He's in prison. But the most important thing for him is not freedom. It's faithfulness. It's striking, isn't it? It's not his comfort that he cares about, but it's his clarity in talking of Christ whilst in prison. Might not be quite where he planned to be. But actually he still wants to be useful. So it's not just open doors, it's open mouths as well. A prayer for clarity. We've seen this year that it's not about us and our eloquence and our giftedness or whatever. It's him, he is the treasure. His gospel is powerful that changes lives. And so our job is simply to get it out there, to speak it. Clarity is vital, maybe more and more so, because less and less and less people understand what we're going on about. Generations gone by, people had been through church and Sunday schools and youth groups and all that kind of stuff, and they had a basic grasp of fundamentals, but I think increasingly now people are just looking at us like we're speaking an alien language. Or, Or words that they use don't really mean the same things that we understand them to mean. A word like God, we need clarity. We need to be faithful in proclaiming this message. Maybe you feel that particularly acutely. I know feeling ill-equipped can really make us pull back from engaging with friends, make us keep quiet. So a couple of opportunities on your postcards. Um, It's on the looking out side, the orange one, and a couple of orange things. Things for us to get better at this clarity 
um, element. On October, or November, sorry, we hope to have a Saturday morning set aside to equip us, someone who's gifted as an evangelist, coming to help us be better at speaking to others. The other one's in February. Um, February is a, a regional event called Uncover. Um, some of you may have heard about this. It's a national thing that UCCF, the Christian Union Movement, is spearheading. Um, it's looking at Luke's Gospel. They're very funky. They look like that. I think, Jonathan, were you involved in this? Jonathan Greenaway said, we know it must be good. Um, one of our trainees now. Um, a chance to, to read Luke's Gospel with unbelieving friends. It's very simple. It's very empowering. And people have said, with a sort of more of a, a national perspective, that this has been one of the most fruitful years in a long time in, in student mission because they've been going through Uncover. And now it's getting rolled out into churches. Do we, have you got friends who you could meet up with over lunch once a week to read a bit of Luke, to talk about some of the questions in there? It's, it's done for you in terms of clarity. It's very helpful. There are extra bits of info. There's all the kind of stuff you might need. There are these QR code things that take you to something online that give you more information should you want it. That'll be in February. Other churches in the region going along to that as well. So watch this space. But Paul says, sat there in chains, be devoted to prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Be watchful as you pray. Be thankful as you pray. Pray for clarity in proclamation. Pray for open doors and open mouths. We want to be a church that talks to God about people. Secondly, we want to be a church that talks to people about God. So think of the trendy cyclist on their fixed gear bike at the lights in Oxford. You're at the front of the the traffic lights and there they are. They're wobbling and struggling and balancing and trying to keep on two wheels without putting their feet down there. They're waiting for the green. Do you know they come at an angle? I can't do it. Um, So, like a bicycle, the church is not made to sit still. It doesn't work. In many ways, a stationary church is a very uncomfortable church to be in. It's a church that history would say would soon be in decline. Churches are made to move on and press on and grow and mature and step out to reach out to others. As Daniel said, that's always been at the core of Magdalen Rose. We long to be a, a church that reaches out to all the peoples of East Oxford and the world with the glorious gospel of Christ. But that brings the question, well, how do we do that better? How do we get better at that? Because it's hard. Is it sort of big events and mission weeks and hoodies and flyers and ads on buses and on Jack FM and Radio Oxford? And they might have their place. No doubt they might. You'll see we've, on the postcard, we've got events coming up, things to be inviting people along to, things to be slotting into. But look at verses 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It's the little things. It's just everyday life. That's the mission field. The ingredients, well, it's implicit that we are seeing outsiders by which... I think he means those outside of the church community. They they see us, they hear us, they're looking. 
We can get this so wrong because we've got a week full of meetings and we only see Christians and we don't know any outsiders. If that's the case, I just think something needs to to change, to tweak your diary. I recently heard someone say this, do what you love and take Jesus with you. Do what you love and take Jesus with you. I think that's incredibly helpful. We can be ourselves. God has made you to be yourself. The kind of person that you are, with your opportunities. Some of us are sporty. Make time for sports. Join a local team. Get to know your teammates. Take Jesus with you. It's East Oxford. Some of us love allotments. Not me. Go and dig and weed and chat. Take Jesus with you. Some of us got young families. We sort of meet up for coffee. That's the kind of culture that happens. Sure, talk about family life and compare nappies and that kind of stuff. But take Jesus with you. Maybe it's food and cooking. Have neighbours over. Take Jesus with you. Or films, or books, or art, or the pub, or music, or rowing, or walking, or rugby, or board games, or whatever it is that you love. Do it. Make time for it. Take Jesus with you. Everyday stuff. Put your life in a place where people can see you and watch you. See the difference that Jesus makes. Too often it seems to me we have lives like those kind of posh cars with dark tinted windows and people can't really see him. You can see a bit, but we don't really let them into who we are. Let them see a life built on grace, where you're honest about mistakes and about what you love and about the gospel. Sometimes you get that sniff, don't you, that, that they have been watching. Kind of six months later, they say, do you remember that thing you said at the Christmas dinner sort of six months ago? But they've been watching you, watching your life, seeing the difference that Jesus makes to who you are. You realise they're scrutinising your every move and your every word. How you treat people, whether you retaliate, how you cope when life is hard, whatever it might be, know that people are watching you. And so especially key is what we speak about, verse 6. Our conversation full of grace, seasoned with salt. Because how we speak, the words we use show the reality of our hearts. The difference that Jesus makes. He says, in a world of too many words, be careful how you speak. Have conversation that's full of grace, that is salty. I I take the saltiness, I think, to mean wisdom. It's speech that matters. But the full of grace bit, I think it could be lots of things. Maybe it's grace in the sense of not being slow to speak about the gospel of grace. Just going for it. The theme of this letter that he's been writing about, reminding ourselves, reminding them, the glory of the cross and all that we have in Christ. Maybe conversation that's full of grace is how we treat other people. It's the outworking of this gospel of grace. God's been very kind, generous, patient, good to us. Does that 
impact how we speak, the words we use of other people and one another, the culture among us, how we treat those we find difficult. Maybe it's, maybe it's how we answer people. You see the last bit in verse 6. So you live differently. People ask questions. How do you answer those questions? I think to answer them graciously means it's not necessarily about winning the argument, but it's the person. Paul's asked us to pray for clarity, so what we say is important, but how we say it is vital. So lovely Maudlin Road Church, let's be a church this year that keeps moving, that keeps pressing on, that's not wobbling and unsure and hesitant, but despite weakness and uncertainty of, and not quite sure what's around the corner, let's be faithful. Talking to God about people and talking to people about God. And yet we reach this point, and I think there are two dangers at this point. The first one is we leave here and we feel like we're up for a fight. Come on, let's go. Let's go and take on the world. We're fired up and we're excited, and, and tomorrow morning it's kind of gone, and if not, then Tuesday lunchtime, it's a distant memory. Nothing's happened. Or the second danger is we feel overwhelmed. Where do we start? Where do we begin? It all just seems a bit too big. So I would urge you, if at all possible, to take some time this week, perhaps with somebody else, to think through what this might mean. Maybe book in a lunch break, maybe book in a meal with a friend, maybe chat about it at home groups or with your family or, or over coffee. But by the end, to have something just very small that's achievable for this year. Maybe it is devoting yourselves to prayer again, verse 2, because that slipped over the summer with the lack of routine, or, or, or it's never been in. And pray. Maybe it's a clarity thing, and it's trying to work through some of those difficult questions that, that stop you talking to your friends about Christ because you're scared they're going to ask you that one that's going to floor you. Maybe read a book. Maybe chat to somebody who can help you with that. Maybe it is the postcard. As Daniel said, we'd love you to stick it in your Bibles or on your fridge or somewhere that will remind you both what's coming up and the kind of people to be praying for. The opportunities to pray for friends, outsiders, as Paul would put it. But perhaps to pray for folk inside Magdalen Road as well, that they might live godly and consistent lives that point to Christ. Maybe it is joining a local club. I love knitting. I'm going to find a local club where I can knit and I can chat to people and I can take Jesus with me. But something that's manageable. I don't love knitting, sorry. People are looking at me strangely. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a knitter, but that's just an example. I was putting myself in your shoes. Okay. Um, but something manageable, something that's tangible, that's doable, that's not sort of I'm going to take on the world, but just something little. Perhaps chat to somebody about that this week. Perhaps pray about it in home groups. Let's not be a church that just seeks to weather the storm, 
that wobbles and is unsure, but actually that talks to God about people and talks to people about God.